Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, December 30th, 2022. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Well, welcome to the last show of the year, the last show of 2022. I don't, I don't have any of those. Let me go. That's, that's my, that's a, see, the, we have such a high budget on this show. That's our noisemaker here. That's it. Okay. That's the best I can do. But yes, it is our final show of 2022. And let me tell you something. It's a big moment because this is the first full year of my podcast. I'm ending the first full year. I started this in November of 2021, November of last year. This is the first full year of this show and the last show of 2022. And there's a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. I know most people are on vacation. They're getting ready for, you know, partying tomorrow night and having a great time and well-being in 2023. And we've said this, I know, this is how many times? This is the third time since 2020 we've said we need a better year, right? When we went into 2021, we condemned and cursed 2020 because it was so awful. And we said, well, 2021's got to be better. And 2021 sucked. And then we said, oh, 2022 now has got to be better than 2021. 2022 kind of sucked. So let's hope 2023. <laughs> I don't think I'm being pessimistic. I think the last few years have all sucked. They really have. Um, but we can hope 2023 is better. Look, look, look. A big, not to be a Debbie Downer on New Year's Eve or New Year's Eve Eve, depending on when you're listening to this show, but not to be a Debbie Downer, but like, you know, the reason why all these years suck. It's because of the people we have running our country, right? Or running the world, but certainly running this country. So if we change that, things can get better, which is why I'm hopeful that 2023 will be a little bit better, right? Still got Joey Amtrak. Hey, I pinch your cheek, Joey Amtrak uh, as president, but at least the Republicans in a few short days will be taking over. On Tuesday, will be taking over the House. So maybe 2023 can be a little bit better. A little bit better. I think it's going to be a really interesting year. I think a lot's going to happen starting next week. I think a lot, I mean a lot, is going to happen. And uh, I'll be here to cover it all. I'll be here to cover it all. Um, There is quite still a bit to talk about. A lot happened uh, today. Um, I guess the biggest news, I think the biggest news, it should be the biggest news, is that they they caught a uh, they have a suspect they caught someone in the in the in the quadruple murder of the those young kids in Ohio, um, and they caught somebody. It took them about seven weeks, I think, about seven weeks to do it, but they finally caught somebody. And evidently, all that time separating all the DNA, all the blood DNA, whatever else they had there, took it took several weeks to do that. But they separated it all, and they found. A match, and it wasn't a match of one of the four. I guess that's they were looking for, right? They were trying to separate the four victims and see if a fifth person, a fifth unidentified person's DNA was part of that, and evidently it was. And the police and the FBI say that DNA matched Brian Koberger, 28-year-old Brian Koberger. And he was, he's from Washington, He's from Washington State, and he was going to college in Washington State at Pullman, which is not very far 
from Moscow, Idaho, which is basically across the border there. It's not far at all. Um, and they, they arrested this guy. He's from Washington State. He was going to school in Pullman, or he went to school in Pullman, but he was arrested in the Poconos in, in Pennsylvania. So he was way across the country when they finally found him. Um, it looks like, it looks like that the crime scene had so much, well, we know the crime scene has so much DNA, so much blood, that it took a lot of time. It took a lot of time to, to sort it all out. And, and, and it led to this guy. It led to this guy. Now, he was pursuing a PhD at Washington State University, it says here. Is that right? Yes, at Washington State University. Um, he also holds an undergraduate degree in, very interestingly, criminal justice from DeSales University. And chillingly, chillingly, as we just get, I guess, the, the beginning, the vanguard of this guy's you know, background, um, he was doing some study. Um, several months before the murders, he posted a Reddit survey for ex-cons as part of a research project. And according to the survey description, he wanted to know more about how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. In the role of a student investigator, Kohlberger wanted to know respondents' answers to questions like, did you prepare for the crime before leaving your home? Before making your move, how did you approach the victim or target? And what was the first move you made to accomplish your goal? The survey also asked respondents to describe their most recent criminal offense with an emphasis on your thoughts and feelings throughout your experience. Kohlberger also wanted to know how criminals left their crime scenes and whether they were gang affiliated or not. This is interesting because these questions don't seem to make sense as being part of a normal survey. I've never heard of a survey, not because I didn't take criminology, but I've never heard of a survey where you'd ask questions like, as a researcher, where you'd ask questions like, did you prepare for the crime before making you move? Had you approached the victim? It seemed as though this was more of a, a fetish, right? It seemed as though he was psychologically connected himself, that he was psychologically screwed up himself, and he wanted to know how others, if others, if, if others felt the way he did. What was your first move you made to accomplish your goal? Now, who... who who describes a criminal act, most likely a violent criminal act, as a goal? Very interestingly, he wrote, what was your first move you made to accomplish your goal? So it seems like, and he wants to know about thoughts and feelings throughout the experience of committing a crime. It seemed as though he was mentally preparing himself to commit his own crime. And of course, you can always look in you know hindsight where they say it's twenty twenty. You can say, oh, now that you know this, and he's a suspect. But if you look at this stuff, it's pretty certain now. If he is the person who did this, remember he's still just a suspect. If he is a person who did this, that he was very, very psychologically connected to the idea of committing a crime, and he seemed like he wants to reach out and find if others felt like him, like he did. Um. Because these are very creepy questions to ask people. It really is. It's almost like, you know, when you, that whole thing where you say, um, what's your experience in this? I'm asking for a friend and the friend is you, right? This is almost the same thing. It's almost like he was asking all these criminals, all these questions, asking for a friend, but really asking for himself because he 
psychologically wanted to know. And uh, evidently he found out himself when he committed these crimes, allegedly. Don't want to get sued. Um, but it looks, it's, it's interesting because I guess there was a DNA match. So his DNA had to have been on file, if I'm correct about that, right? His, in order to make a match with him, his DNA must have been on file. So you wonder how, right? I don't know. I don't know. If you do those, like, uh, those DNA, those test kits, you know, where you send them out to find out about your heritage and all that, I wonder if they are, they say they don't share them with the police or anybody else, but I wonder if they have to, if there's a subpoena, and if the FBI can subpoena those places to share. I, I don't know exactly how it works, or if there's just one big database that stuff goes into that the FBI can access. But anyway, they did find him, and uh, there it is. After a week, after a, after a wide scale seven week investigation, uh, they came up with this guy. And you know, people look at the photo now and they go, "Oh, he looks like a serial killer. He looks like a murderer." Well, yeah, of course not, because you're thinking about it because he was the, he's a suspect. But uh, it's very rare. Does anyone ever, when there's a suspect for a crime like this, does anyone ever say, "Oh, that photo, they look so good looking"? It's hard to believe. They never say that, right? They always say, oh, that's that's obviously a, the killer. Obviously him. He obviously did it. He looks like a killer. You know, this is all, of course, psychological suggestion, right? This is all suggestion. We now know that he was uh, he's a suspect. So, of course, he looks like a killer. Um, but we'll see where it goes now. now. Now, the investigators want to know more about him. You know, so if, if they want to know if you know more about this person, get in touch with them and maybe find out. If you could understand, if they can find out the reasoning behind this, if there was a reason behind this. Because when you look at all the evidence that was leading up to this, all the experts said, you know, he probably knew the layout of the place. So if you know the layout of the place, it's certainly not a it's certainly not a uh, random crime. So you wonder, had he been at that house before? Had he been trailing these kids that night? Had he been planning this all along? Maybe, you know. Based on those questions he asked several months earlier in the survey, maybe he was looking for prey, right? Maybe he was planning this. He also seemed to have, very oddly, um, oh, you see, Kohlberger also wanted to know how criminals left their crime scenes and whether they were gang-affiliated or not. Um, so once again, it's almost like he was, he was trying to find out from experienced people how to plan this. Um, Interestingly, after he was booked at Monroe County Jail, he, report, he, he reportedly asked the police if anyone else had been arrested, per the Independent. So I don't know what that's all about. Um, but this is very, this is getting really creepier and creepier, but finally they got somebody, so that's good. So hopefully there's some, there's some closure, there'll be some closure here uh, with this, uh, but I'm sure there's a lot to go. And as the investigator said, as the police said, and the prosecutor said, this is really just a new beginning of this chapter of trying to figure out more about this guy and why uh, the alleged killer here and why he may have done these things. But to me, if you look at the psychological profile based on that survey he wrote up, it really looked like he was he had a fetish to do this, that he was thinking about doing it and wanted to get the feelings of others who have done this kind of thing to see if they matched his or what kind of thinking or planning would go into committing committing a murder like this.
I don't think that's a coincidence. Like I said, those questions don't seem to be questions a, a, a uh, an, an independent observer criminologist would want to ask. It seems more like someone would want to ask those questions if they were thinking about committing a crime. Yeah, so that was a big uh, moment today. Uh, and we'll see where that goes come next year. Uh, also, Barbara Walters died. I didn't realize Barbara Walters was 93. 93 years old. I didn't, I had no idea she was that old. Um, and so she died, yes. And, you know, I, I've talked about, you know, the the lack of real journalism on this show many times. And, um, you know, Barbara Walters really, you could say, was kind of one of the last remaining real journalists. Now, now Walters, you could, I, I don't think it was like a mystery, right? She was on The View also, right? So it, it was no mystery that she was left, that her politics was left. And that might have come out a little bit on the on the view. Although if you watch the view when she was on it, it was much better. She did not want the show to be about her political slant and her political opinions, unlike these current ladies. But um, even though she was obviously to the left, Barbara Walters, she did her job. She didn't let that get in the way of investigating, of actual journalism, because that was her goal in life to be like an actual journalist, right? To do real interviews, hard hitting interviews, in depth probing interviews, whether the person was a conservative or a Democrat or a Republican or, or a celebrity or not, whatever it may have been, she wanted to do an interview, a hard-hitting interview, a probing interview, real journalism, and find out the real facts when it comes to stories. And so Barbara Walters is the, what really, want, I think, might have been the last of that era. Might have been the la- I wouldn't put her personally on the level of Walter Cronkite, but I don't think she wants it to be on the level of Walter Cronkite with objectivity. But she at least did her job. She was able to put her politics to the side, right, and do her job and investigate and do real journalism and real interviews. And that is uh, lacking now. You know, these journalists will come out now and say, oh, Barbara Walters, the great Barbara Walters. But if they really wanted to... Uh, honor her they would do their jobs they would do their jobs the way she did their job regardless of their political ideology they would do their jobs right and we're seeing less and less of that these days less and less of that certainly not on that level on that level of barbara walters where it's almost like a celebrity journalist right a well-known national journalist there's almost no one left like that I, I can't name anyone like that. When I talk about Glenn Greenwald, but he's not on that level. It doesn't like a national television show, you know, very popular. Almost, She was like a celebrity herself, right? So when you look at someone on that level doing real journalism, I, I can't think of anybody anymore. I'm trying. Maybe you can come up with ideas, but I, I, I just, I, I can't, I don't see anyone on that level of, of Barbara Walters anymore, you know? Um, and it's a real shame. And, and, and Case in point, the view went downhill when she left. When she left the view, it became a a, a, a extreme left wing nut job free for all with Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Behar. Right? They, they didn't have the real journalist there to rein them in anymore, right? So it just became basically this pretend journal once again, another pretend journalism show. They don't do any real journalism, they just do opinions. They do left wing opinions. That's it. And try to pass it off. As, as journalism, but it's not. It's not even close to journalism. And so that 
show went to shit once 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 Barbara Walters left. And so I, I think it's a sad day because we don't have, you know, it's not like we can turn and say, well, we still have these five. You know, we don't have them. They simply don't exist. And we're seeing it as I cover in stories every day. I cover like like this guy, uh, Tate, Andrew Tate. I, I never heard of I Tell you the truth. I'm pretty tuned in. I do this show friggin' five days a week, right? For the last 14 months. I had no idea who Andrew Tate was until he was arrested. And, uh, but evidently he doesn't even live in, he never lived in this country, right? He was somewhere else. He was another country in Europe. And he was supposedly, allegedly uh, involved in like Epstein kind of stuff, right? Sex trafficking or whatever it may have been. But some people say he was a whistleblower and the government went after him and all of Epstein's people, none of them have been arrested. None, none of those names associated with Epstein, none of, his, none of his clients have been arrested, but this guy was and it's a political hit job. Whatever it may be, I had never heard of him before. But there was one article that was brought to my attention that was written about his arrest. And the article, the heading of the article was MAGA king or MAGA supporter or MAGA, MAGA nut Andrew Tate. What? He doesn't even live in the fucking country. This is what the left-wing media does. Anyone they don't like, they just they just label MAGA, even if it makes absolutely no sense. The guy did not live in this country. He didn't like this country. But why? Because he was supposedly conservative or he smoked cigars without a shirt on? I don't know. But that's how stupid this is. That's how bad journalism is. Did we now that and how unfair journalism is? Did we see journalists write with with uh, Sam Bankman Freed? Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden lover Sam Bankman-Fried arrested for bilking for for robbing billions of dollars. Did they say that? No, they didn't even write the absolute truth, which is with Democratic donor. Did they say? Did, did you even hear see articles written Democratic donor Sam Bankman-Fried arrested? No. This shows how unfair and hypocritical and slanted way to the left the media is, and how these journalists are not real journalists. They're political activists, and they want to get their digs in. They want to get their shots in. And that's what someone like Barbara Walters didn't do. Again, here's another one. Before I go into this, is a very, actually on the death of Barbara Walters, the day Barbara Walters dies at 93 is a good day to talk about all these fake journalists we have now and these fake news articles and how bad things are now and how much we need people like Barbara Walters again. This was from SF Gate. This is from San Francisco Gate, which is like the San Francisco Chronicle, basically the same thing. Um, here, here's a story that was written today. This is a very important story, very important story. Stinky smells reportedly wafting around Twitter's headquarters. I won't read the whole thing. This is by Alex Schultz of SF Gate, and he's got a very uh, cute little cartoonish avatar of himself. What is this new thing where you don't have a photo, you have a cartoonish avatar of yourself? Is that is that? But it, it doesn't match cartoon journalism. We don't even have journalists don't even have real photos of themselves anymore in their byline. They have these cartoonish avatars that look like they were drawn by uh, what's his name that does the, the the Family Guy. Elon Musk has reportedly conjured a brilliant plan to disrupt the tech sector and keep his workers focused, cut janitorial services, and slowly unleash a motivational stench across the hollow halls of Twitter's San Francisco headquarters. The San Francisco offices have been slashed from four floors to two and have been without janitorial services for nearly a month. According to a new story from the New York Times. Oh, wow. Talk about fake news. The janitors in question went on strike in early December requesting better rages and Musk responded by getting rid of them altogether. Result, 
according to New York Times. The office is in disarray with people packed into more confined spaces. The smell of leftover takeout food and body odor has lingered on the floors, according to four current employees, current and former employees. I'm sure they were all former. Bathrooms have grown dirty, these people said. The remaining workers are reportedly bringing in their own toilet paper too, an act of insubordination that does not align with Musk's apparent vision for a stinky, smelly workplace. And this goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Now, this is a city that I live in. These headquarters are about 10 minute walk from where I am right now. This is a city that I live in where people literally I've seen them. I've seen them pissing. I walked down my street the other day. This is Lower Knob Hill, a pretty nice area. I was walking down the street a couple of days ago, and this guy was literally pissing. I almost walked into his piss stream right in front of me, like at 8 o'clock at night. Like 8 o'clock at night. People actually are shitting in the streets here. They squat and they take dumps in the middle of the street here. Small businesses are closed. At least half are gone. Every day we're hearing about another business leaving. Corporations are moving, and Twitter will be one of them. People are leaving in the hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands they're leaving. Kids are dying of fentanyl. Kids here are dying of, of drug overdoses, suicide, and fentanyl poisoning because of the open border and the politicians here who love their illegals. And this is what they write about. This is what they write about. Remember, this is on the heels of them writing about people sleeping in, in, in Twitter headquarters, people having cots and rooms for people to sleep in. So this was on the, this is a, the one-two punch of people sleeping there and it's, a, it's smelly. Now you're telling me must arrangement syndrome isn't a real thing? Not only is it a real thing, it's another illness. It's a psychological illness. We've seen how Trump derangement syndrome has fucked up so many people's brains. And now we're seeing Musk derangement syndrome and that's fucking up people's brains. And we're soon to see once Ron DeSantis announces he's running, how DeSantis derangement syndrome will be fucking up people's brains. So we had we had TDS, now we have MDS, and we'll soon have DDS. It's like a dentist. But this is what they write about. This is simply what they write about in a city where crime is through the roof. I was let me tell you something. I don't go out that much. I really don't go out that much because there's nothing to do here. It's a boring city of boring people. It's dirty. But they won't talk about dirty. They'll talk about Musk headquarters. They don't talk about the fucking city being dirty. The city being a filth sewer. They didn't care about that during COVID. They want you to wear masks and stand six feet apart and close your business. But they didn't talk about the people shitting and pissing in the streets during COVID. That was okay. It was fine. The people who don't shower for eight years, pissing and shitting in the streets. That's okay. That's okay. All of a sudden, we're worried about about, uh, hygiene when it comes to you and I having to wear a mask, not being able to open our businesses. But um, this is what they write about. This is how insane it truly is here. This is how insane it is. And when they drive Elon Musk and Twitter out, it won't hurt these stupid fuckers at the SF Gate or SF Chronicle. It won't hurt them. They'll continue to get paid probably more than they should. And, and continue to write fake news stories. But it will hurt the city because will, we'll lose jobs. We will lose jobs. We will lose income. We'll lose all the taxes that these businesses, these exorbitant taxes they have to pay in California. We'll lose all that too. But once again, the people in charge, of the people who are making this happen don't care. The politicians, the journalists, whoever it may be, they don't give a shit. It's not going to hurt them. They're liberal, elitist scum who are above it all. 
who like to point fingers when they should be pointing fingers, of course, at themselves, at themselves. This is what they talk about. They talk about Trump's tax returns, not the not 15 year olds dying of fentanyl poisoning. You see that actor, that young actor who's was like 20 something. That's another thing that's going crazy. All these young people are dying out of nowhere. They're dying either from the we know what they're dying from. They're dying from the vaccine or they're dying from fentanyl. So most of these young people who are dying out of nowhere are dying from fentanyl poisoning and the vaccine poisoning. That's what they're dying from. But they don't talk about that. They don't write those stories. They write about Trump's 4,000-page tax return two years after the guy hasn't even been fucking president anymore. Two years. The guy has not been in the White House for two fucking years. And they're still talking about January 6th from two years ago and his fucking tax returns. That's what they care about. Not kids dying from fentanyl poisoning. Not illegals taking over the country. That they don't write about. Those are real stories. But to write those real stories, they have to make their left-wing friends, their politicians, their journalists look bad. They don't want to make the Democrats look bad, so they can't write these stories, so they don't write them, so they're not in the public discourse, and the public doesn't even think they're fucking happening. There was a poll by Harris X that is showing that people are finally, finally, this is getting through finally, and do you know why it's getting through? Because of me. Just me. No. Or us. You and me. Social media, podcasts, Fox News. That's why it's finally getting through to people. All the stuff about the border and the and the millions of immigrants coming in every year now and the takeover of these small Texas towns by immigrants and the uh, fentanyl poisoning and the COVID crap. It's finally getting through. I believe it was 65 percent of people polled want to see the Republicans do these hearings on whether it's Biden's laptop or the Hunter Biden's laptop or Biden in the Ukraine or COVID and Fauci. Two out of every three people now want the Republicans to do this stuff. That's because it's finally getting through. These Twitter files are finally getting through to people. People are finally saying, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe I believed in masks. Maybe I like Fauci, but you know what? Maybe they're coming after people like Jay Bhattacharya today. They'll be coming after people like me tomorrow. People are finally starting to realize that. They're finally starting to wake up that no matter what side of the coin you're on with COVID, whether you're a branch COVIDian or someone like me and you, most people listen to the show, it doesn't matter. Once our rights are taken away, they can be taken away no matter what. Anyone can have their rights taken away. Your rights today, my rights tomorrow. People are finally starting to get it. So we have to keep going. We can't stop because the overwhelming majority of Americans want accountability. You know what the overwhelming majority of Americans want? They want to know the truth. We can handle the truth. And that's what they want. They want the fucking truth. Whatever that truth may be. Whatever that truth may be. That's what they want. And that's what they want to get to. So that gives me a little bit of hope going into next year. Gives me a little bit of hope going into 2023 that these polls show people want accountability. They don't want things just, you know, pushed under the rug, under the couch. They want to know what happened. They want to know what these people did to us and and why they did it to us. Just like a crime, just like that, that Idaho crime, just on a micro level. People want to know why this happened, how it happened, why it happened. People want to know how all these things have happened over the last three years and why they happened. And was there any 
Yeah, push under the rug like the Epstein stuff. Right, right, Andrew. But you know, it's like that they don't they don't want that they they want this stuff out there now. But once again, the only reason they're hearing about it is not because of the San Francisco Gate or the San Francisco Chronicle or MSN or the New York Times or the Washington Post. Because if we relied on those, if we relied on those legacy media outlets, CNN, MSNBC, people wouldn't know anything. But because of us, because of these podcasts, because of Colin, because of Fox News, because of Joe Rogan, that's why they know about this. Come on, doesn't Joe Rogan get better ratings than CNN? People are finally starting to wake up. A little more popularity of this show, and I'll have better ratings than CNN. Their ratings are so fucking bad. And so on top of this, this ridiculous story written about the halls of Twitter not smelling good. And I guarantee you, I can guarantee you, if I was invited, if I figured it uninvited, if I just went into Twitter tomorrow and, and went in, I guarantee I wouldn't smell a fucking thing. I guarantee you it's all bullshit. And first of all, can't people pick up? Someone wrote on my feed today, can't people clean up after themselves? You need a maid? If, if Twitter is only down to 25% of its workforce, these people can fucking clean up after themselves. They don't need a maid or janitorial service for a few hundred people a day there. Clean up after yourself. This is not a story. This isn't news. The only story here, if it's true, is that techies are dirty. The techies are, are, they think they're so good, they don't have to clean up, they should have, they need to have a, a, a black guy cleaning up after them. Oh, but they're so woke. Incredible. So on top of that, the New York Times today writes their glowing, glow. by the way, this is the day Fauci leaves. Fauci's about to leave. This is it, this is the end of Fauci. Yeah, right. I don't even believe myself when I say that. Um, of course, we're going to see him in front of Congress, which I want. Um... But the New York Times wrote a glowing profile, a glowing year-end profile of how great Jesus Fauci is. Now, listen to the first. You don't need. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. First of all, I'm not going to pay for their shitty paper through their firewall. But just the first paragraph. You talk about creepy. Yet you would think this is a satire written by the Onion or the Babylon Bee. Here it is. This is the first paragraph. The walls in Dr. Anthony S. Fauci. I love when they use the middle initial S to make them sound even more glorious and important. The, the wall in Dr. Anthony, what's, what's the S stand for? Uh, what's the S stand for? Let's make it up. Shitheel? The uh, Dr. Anthony Shitheel Fauci's home office are adorned with portraits of him, drawn and painted by some of his many fans. New York Times journalist, I'll put the quotes in. They didn't put the quotes. Cheryl Gay Stahlberg, I bet, starts the love letter, story, sorry, article about Fauci. Oh, the love letter. Oh, yeah, right. Without reading anything more, are you already sitting in stunned silence, rubbing your brow, wondering how the heck we got to this place in history? Listen to this. It's just Elon Musk actually wrote. Elon Musk actually wrote creepy to that first sentence. Listen, the walls in Dr. Fauci's home office, that's his home, are adorned with portraits of him drawn and painted, painted, painted. Who is he, Marie Antoinette? We can only hope. By some of his many fans. How, how, how creepy is that? How could you write that first paragraph and really consider yourself a journalist? A real journalist who had gone in to Anthony Fauci's office and saw that would really write a good journalistic piece on how full of himself the son of a bitch is. Have you ever heard such a thing? Who has that? 
Look, I, I've gone into offices where people have their family, right? They have the portrait of their family, very, very nice portrait of their family. Maybe a, 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 what do you call it, a certificate on the wall. You know, I graduated from this university, but diploma. All right. Okay. All right. Fine. Maybe a photo of them with someone famous. All right. And they usually have that there because they're more, you know, interested in the famous person they met than themselves. So they have a photo of someone famous. I get it. That's fine. But to have paintings and photos of yourself. And we've seen this. Actually, I saw a shot of this about a year ago of him sitting in his office. I'm sure it's gotten worse since. And he had this huge, right above his computer, a huge, he took up the whole wall, portrait of him. Does that not tell you everything? A real journalist would say, oh, wow. I gotta write some. This is, I gotta write the psychological profile of Anthony Fauci. But no, no, they write this glowing thing. Yeah, as as this actual journalist writes, don't get me wrong. As I just said, I just said this. I'm not against having personal photographs, not work up in one's home, but to surround yourself with images of yourself in your office. This speaks some kind of psychology. I'm not qualified enough to unpack. And a real journalist would say that. A real journalist would walk into that. If you're doing a story about somebody and say, oh, boy, I know where I got to go with this, but not this person, because she was told by her bosses at the Times to write a glowing piece about Fauci. And you can guarantee in their meetings, if they had one, they said that to her. Write a glowing. We want a glowing piece about Fauci for the end of the year paper. Absolutely. One hundred percent guaranteed. That's what was said to Cheryl Gay Stolberg. Remember, this is a guy who said, I am the science. When you're questioning me, you're questioning the science. So he not, not only is he the be-all and end-all of the science, but he's such a fucking idiot. He's such a not-doctor, a non-doctor, a non-scientist. He doesn't realize that's what scientists do all the time. And real journalists, they question the science. They debate the science. That's what they do. That's what they've done through time. There's never been a time in history before COVID where one fucking guy or one agency said, this is the science, and everyone said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Never before COVID. Never. It's because people 100 years ago didn't have to deal with scumbags like this guy. Scumbags like this guy who's a suck up to big pharma. Or journalists who were suck up to big pharma or the left wing. That's why the 1918 flu went away so quickly. That's why by 1920, no one was even talking about it anymore. Go back in history and look. By 1920, they were over it. A flu that was... We know now hundreds of times, if not thousands of times worse than what, what we have now. And yet in less than two years, they were over it. Without vaccines, by the way, they had no vaccine. OK, so think about that. hundred years ago, medieval medicine, basically, certainly nothing we have like we have now. Right. Much dirtier cities. Much, you know, we're talking about sanitation wasn't nearly as good as it is now. Right. No vaccine. No therapeutics. And yet by 1920, they weren't even talking about it anymore. We have all those things, and we're going into calendar year five of continuing with this stuff because of people like Tony Fauci. 
because he wants to remain important because these people want to remain important. That's why it has gotten them celebrity status. Come on. It's like my argument with the Ukraine war. If it ends, if there's a peace negotiation tomorrow, that's the end of Zelensky's celebrity. That's the end. It's the end of the money machine, right? Who He doesn't want that. He'll go back to what he was before the war. Nobody knew who the hell he was. When they were talking about Trump making that crazy call with him, that was supposedly crazy. If you listen to it, it really wasn't. No one knew who the hell he was. The war, it, look, this is a fact of the matter. I don't care what side you're on. The war in the Ukraine made him famous and, and powerful and, 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 and rich. And the COVID war made Fauci more rich and more powerful than even AIDS could. So all these doctors like him, they don't want to go away. They don't want to go back into obscurity. They don't want to put their, have to put their white scopes and, and, stethoscope, and stethoscopes back on and see real people anymore. They've gotten very popular and they've made a lot of money off of giving speeches and writing books and kickbacks from wherever it may be, big pharma. They don't, want, they don't want to go back to being what they were before. If COVID ends, they go back to being what they were before. The cash cow ends. The 15 minutes of fame ends. This is what you'd have to deal with 100 years ago. That's the difference. These scumbags didn't exist. And if they did, they didn't have the bully pulpit they have now. They didn't have the media they have now that, that can exalt them to these kinds of incredible levels where a guy has people sending in. Poor, who does that? Who sends in a who, who does a portrait of, their doc, of a doctor? Who does that? You do a portrait of God, right? People do portraits of Jesus. They do portraits of very famous people. They do portraits of, uh, of, of, of famous artists and maybe George Washington and famous politicians of the past. Who does a portrait of a doctor? That's how fucked up this world is right now. You know, do a portrait of Jonah Salk if you want to do a portrait of a doctor. Do a portrait of someone who really did something, who, who invented a vaccine that actually worked. A vaccine that actually stopped the spread of a disease. A vaccine you didn't have to get 10,000 10, boosters every other week. Not this snake oil salesman. And that's what he is, a snake oil salesman. God, such a serious show for the last show of the year. Most people listening right now, it's, it's New Year's Eve or close to it. It's such a serious show. But all these things came down today. Oh, this is a funny one. You want to laugh a little bit? Justin Trudeau complains that never in Canada's history have Canadians treated him with such a prime minister with such disrespect that they are treating him. Disrespect. And I simply wrote, why would anyone treat Hitler with kid gloves? I'm confused about that. Is that, is that confusing? Should you treat Hitler with respect? Doesn't make any sense to me. I think they're treating him exactly the way he should be treated. Look, and I've talked about this scumbag many times. And it he, it's it's blood curling. He's a blood curling man, because unlike most of these sinister fascists that we see, he talks in a very calm way. You know, he's got that Hannibal Lecter way of speaking, that very passive aggressive. I couldn't hurt a fly. I couldn't hurt him at the end of uh, Psycho. He couldn't hurt a fly. I couldn't hurt a fly. I'm Justin Trudeau. 
And yet beneath that is such a disgusting fascist scumbag, a wannabe Hitler in blackface, that it makes me shiver whenever the man talks now. Whenever he talks, it makes me shiver. It really does. What did he, what word did he use that really made me sick? Oh, he said in response to what happened with the truckers and the way he, he froze their bank accounts and did all that illegal stuff. Um, that he's very, he said, I'm very serene with my decision. Very, who talks, a serial killer talks like that. He's this prime minister serial killer. That's the way a serial killer talks. Not a prime minister. I'm very, I'm very, I, I closed their bank accounts. I destroyed their lives. I'm very serene that I didn't step on any freedom of speech. Of course, there's no first amendment there. That's the problem. But there's a freedom of speech. And of course, he stepped all over that. Um, so that's, that's Justin Trudeau. He's complaining. That's his end of the year complaint that he's treated with such, such disrespect. Such disrespect. He must think it's because he's good looking. I'm so good looking. I'm such a good looking man. That must be why people don't like good looking people. <sighs> My God. I was going to do like, I'm, I'm watching Fox. I'm watching all these shows and they're doing like these end of the year, like, the, like the 10 worst people, right? Like all oh, the big losers and winners. I'm not that into that kind of thing, but a, a doctor, is this guy a doctor? Is he a real doctor? Can we count on it? Yes. Okay. A guy named Sunil Dahan, MD. He wrote something interesting. Um, he wrote his three greatest people of 2022. And I like, I'm, I'm actually reading this because I think it's a great list. If you're going to mention three great people from the year, one Elon Musk, agree a hundred percent. We know what Elon's done with Twitter and, and revealing all the, Censorship and such. Two is Novak Djokovic. I, yes, I agree. I mean, he stood his principle. He stood his ground, right? He didn't get vaccinated. And he, he could have won those tournaments and made a lot more money, millions and millions of dollars. He gave it all up and he stood his ground and never got vaccinated. So I definitely go with that. And number three, a local guy, Jay Bhattacharya. Jay Bhattacharya absolutely stood up and look at the censorship. Look at what he, he found out he had to deal with. An actual doctor an infectious disease expert from Stanford University, highly regarded before COVID. And he was totally destroyed and slammed and censored and made to look like a lunatic by scumbag Fauci and company and the Fauci mafia. And he stood his ground and Jay, unlike myself, he never called Fauci a scumbag. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't call Fauci a, you know, a, 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 a killer like I do, a murderer. He's been so above board. He's been so, such a gentleman. And yet he's taken so much shit. And his reputation has been tarred by, by human scum, snake oil salesman trash like Tony Fauci. And Jay Bonacar will never have that kind of celebrity or money that Tony Fauci has. But Jay should write a book about all this. I'll buy it, and everyone should buy it. So yeah, those those three: Musk, Jovicic, Djokovic, Djokovic, and Bhattacharya. Um, definitely, I think those. That's a really great. And as 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 Doctor Don says, all three stood up bravely against the corrupt establishment, medical extremism, and been vigorously pro freedom. So who are your favorite people of the year? If you have, by the way, if you have a favorite people of the year, if you want to, if we want to do that now, if we want to lighten up, maybe the second half of the show, at the end of the show, I'm going to do my 10 best list of films, films, not people, 
not events, but my 10 best films of the year of 2022. I'll do that at the end of the show. But if you have any people or events or whatever you want to list, even if you, if you want to have fun and have your three best people and three worst people, then feel free to call in. The phone lines are open. I don't have to just keep talking. I can. I have a big mouth. But if you want to call in, the phone lines are open, and you can talk about maybe the best and worst events and people of, of the year. I have a feeling who's going to be on the list of the, of the worst. Sometimes it's even more fun than the best people, right? The worst people of the year. Um, okay. Bill, Bill, you, you took the bait, Bill. How you doing? Well, I think we got to talk about Dr. Fauci Mafia. <laughs> the, mob, <laughs> the mobster, Dr. Fauci. Unfortunately, you know, big pharma and uh, probably 90% of Congress and bed with one another, I would imagine. Um, we'd have to follow the money. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see that. In other words, usually what happens when Congress investigates something, nothing. <laughs> you know, if we, do, we don't get full disclosure, number one, things get redacted. Or if, I, I, I'd be very surprised if at the end of any con congressional inquiry, it, Fauci or anybody's hung out to drive. First of all, none of this happened without a lot of Congress people on both sides of the aisle knew what was going on. Remember when you go way back to um, who were the two right wingers way back to oh, 20, 20 January? There, there were meetings where they were being um, prepped and they were on some committee. I, I'm trying to remember because it goes back a couple of years. And then they made financial stock trades and stuff like that based on insider information they got regarding what was going to happen with the vaccine and the rollout. Do we call that, Mike? It's, yes, it's, yes, yeah. yes. And so we're going to see that on both sides of the aisle, obviously, you know. Yeah. And which, you know, there'll be the, well, it's going to be spun in such a way, I think, where just like we have Rand Paul when he would, confront Fauci and you see this tense battle. It's, it's like it, it's all part of the three ring circus. I'd be very surprised if we actually got any real action. Do you follow me? I'd like to see something and maybe, you know, people might be, uh, because there's always going to be the counter narrative running. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, you know, yeah. we were learning and, you know, it evolved. And so we adjusted with it. And boy, the vaccine did save so many lives. And there's going to be that narrative. Whereas people like you and me are like, we can point back it into the NIH Open Access Medical Journal, their own library, PubMed, and go, no, 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 no. You had studies in 2005 that showed that chloroquine worked and was effective versus coronavirus. Do you follow me? We, oh, what about that 2010 periodical that showed how zinc and zinc ionophores, you see what I'm saying? Say for well, a you know, if you, I just thought, while you're talking, I'm thinking off the top of my yeah. mind about, about these, you know, since we, you know, the best and worst thing is always happens at the end of the year. I think the, right. like, the, the worst three people off the top of my head are basically the same people. I can call them the worst three people of the last three years, not just mm -hmm. the last year, but you're talking Fauci, he'd be mm -hmm. top of the list, right? How about, how about uh, that horrible Boris guy, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert oh. Boris? He, He's a he's a horror show. And what about Klaus there, Mr. Schwab there? 
Oh, I mean, yeah. those three, those three, I think you would say those are like the worst people right now of the decade, aren't they? I mean, the first three <laughs> years of the decade, they, they are the worst. They've been consistently the worst, I think, in the last three years. You know? It was interesting. Well, if you listen to Klaus Schwab, you know, when he talks about, you know, oh, I'm very proud of Macron and, you know, Trudeau and how we've penetrated world governments with their young global leaders, you know, he tells you how freaking corrupt it all is, how they penetrated world government. Yeah, of course. You know, but that's, this is how bizarre it is. It's like, it's like watching an episode of The Twilight Zone, right? It's all happening and if you have enough eyes to see. And ears to hear. You go on a World Economic Forum site. You listen to Yuval Noah Harari. I talk about a, a little creepy monster that guy is, right? But I have I found videos on BitChute, right, where when he had hair, and he's literally referring. He's using the words the useless eaters. You know what I mean? Yes. Referring, you know, literally. And then he, then of course, they kind of change it to the useless workers. In other words, as AI gets more and more evolved and more and more jobs are taken over by artificial intelligence, blah, 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 blah. But then, of course, the Internet of Bodies, we know it's coming, Neuralink and Internet of Bodies and the Fourth Industrial Revolution and you'll own nothing, have no privacy and be happy. I mean, you start hearing this stuff when humans become cyborgs. I mean, it's all on the, on the freaking site. These people are freaking megalomaniacs and freaking absolutely insane. You know what I mean? But this is what they have... They're moving in this direction. Do you follow me in a big way? And this is the future. And that there'll be these, you know, digital passports. Didn't you remember not long ago hearing about the G20? Oh yeah, the G20 meaning the the global, you know, passports. And they're not done with this. This is we talked about the 2025 Sears. You know, then in other words, this is gonna. Poof, one thing after another, and we're going to keep seeing this and seeing this. It's all about ratcheting it up the control, crushing the small businesses, which 63% have closed permanently so far, according to the statistics I heard. And, um, and I had the own experience with, I told you, the spoken wheel, which got for closed on the business uh, building uh, behind in taxes. In the CARES Act, if you're buying your taxes two years or more, you are not eligible for CARES Act money as a small business. Do you right. follow me? Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you know anything about this Andrew Tate guy? No, tell me about that. I haven't been following. You see, no one really knows. It's really amazing that no one, and I know a lot of people like you and other people who really, you know, read every day of stories every day and really in tune to what's going on out there. And almost nobody I know had heard of him until three days ago, two days ago when he was arrested, you know, and uh, supposedly for human trafficking and and such but there's also something going on with him in that greta thunberg thing where maybe oh, he was somebody... he, he was supposed he was supposedly not a a you know a climate alarmist andrew tate he wasn't like a climate alarmist kind of guy and because he wasn't a climate alarmist kind of guy i think greta thunberg went after him i thought they had like some kind of a spat him and greta thunberg and uh, right. everyone's saying of course that greta thunberg now here's another one greta thunberg what, what the hell is this <laughs> why why is she a big deal why is Greta Thunberg a big deal? Why is this Bjork-looking girl, whatever she is now, 18, 19, why is she all of a sudden a big shot? So is this, is this another example of basically someone just getting popular based on bullshit? Like Fauci got popular based on COVID, history, fear, and hysteria, and Greta Thunberg is getting popular based on climate, fear, and hysteria? 
I don't know. You see, my degree is in resource economics, and we were studying, you know, again, remember, Earth Day first started back in the early 80s, remember? And I was yeah. graduating college in 83. And the things that the... Okay, I know Gator and I get into this a lot. Okay, the, who who gets into it a lot? Gator, Gator, Iggy, Gator. Oh, yeah. Gator. Yeah. he's here. Gator. Haven't seen yeah. Gator in a while. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, there's something called the polar vortex uh, wobble, and you know, you, uh, due to the warming of the, uh, there is a, a lot of theory that due to the warming of the the poles, we have uh, a weakening of the jet stream. And a slowdown of what's called the AMAC, AMOC, which is underwater uh, Atlantic um, movement of water. It's, it's like a, what did I call it? Like a conveyor belt of water. Conveyor belt, yeah. Yeah, right. And I sent you some links on this. Remember, you may recall, and I don't know if you had a chance to review them, but that um, that this is a real thing. And this is what, when we're seeing these very, very frigid temperatures like this Buffalo storm or that when we have these frigid temperatures drop down at the Texas and, 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 and Florida, it's due to this uh, slowing down of the underwater currents. Um, right. And yes. And so um, warming of, of the poles causing a lack of tef- temperature differential, which slows the currents down. And, and, and so these dips we're seeing without getting into the science real deeper are are really are reflective of of climate change okay let me just well you know I, would, I agree I, I see what you're saying now the climate change with me it's almost like the second amendment with me i was more on the side of the climate change people like the mm-hmm. al gore and such before covid but mm-hmm. then i saw basically the exact same people who were spreading fear and hysteria with covid saying that three percent of the people three of every hundred people who got covid were going to die from it and I remember Gavin Newsom, no one, once again, no one in the San Francisco Chronicle or the San Francisco Gate who will gladly write a story about smells, pizza smells in, in Twitter headquarters, the big story, will ever write about how Gavin Newsom said back in April, March, April, May of 2020, that half of California was going to get COVID like in the first three months or whatever. He said 26 million people, more than half. He said 26 million people. This is what Gavin Newsom said at the beginning, that 26 million people, if we don't do the right thing, 26 million people this year are going to get COVID here. Now, of course, he was totally full of shit. It was totally full of shit. The numbers in 2020 didn't come close to that. I think it was maybe 2 million positive cases overall in California. But no one ever talked about that. No one said, wait a minute, Gavin, didn't you just say, did you say in April that 26 million people were going to get this? So these same people who spread these incredible lies and overblew all the numbers and all that nonsense are basically the same people who have talked many years about how you know, in three years and four years, we're not going to be here anymore. How many times did these same people lie about that? How many times did the Dr. Fauci's of the climate crisis say, oh, you know, if we don't stop, uh, if we don't reverse this now, 10 years from now, we're not going to be here anymore. They've been saying this basically for the last 40 years. So they've been constantly wrong about that too. Uh-huh. And and once again, no one points that out. No one calls on them. No one says you were wrong about this 27 times. Why should we listen to the 28th time? So that the whole COVID thing and the way everyone, all these quote unquote experts were wrong about that and lied about that, that has kind of turned me off to the whole idea of, of any real problem as far as the climate goes or any, 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 let's put it, any imminent issue 
any imminent pressing issues with the client? I think you have to consider a couple of things, right? Okay. Well, just touch on that. It's also known as a thermohaline uh, system that underwater, you know, conveyor belt. It has to do with not only the temperatures, but saline changes that happen as glacier melting happens. You get a lot of fresh water diluting. Um, so anyway, um, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that these things, even like we bounce back and forth between COVID and that to make a, 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 a you know an analogy. Um, pe- people did get sick. Like people had cytokine storms. They, some people did have extremely low blood oxygen levels. Do you follow me? Saturation levels. Um, the, and there's the theory that there was the gain of function. And so there was this, there was a strain going around that um, that affected the same people who would have been affected by the flu, who already had multiple comorbidities, yada, yada, yada. We heard about all that, right? So, so there were some people who did get sick. It's not like nothing happened. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, of course, it was, it was exaggerated, um, of course. And then there was medical malpractice, straight up, in my opinion, because for those people, there was earlier, obviously, uh, protocols like American frontline doctor, frontline COVID critical care doctors, you know, that they had, that they could have been using the repurposed drugs, yada, yada, yada. So there was, then we had remdesivir. I'm just trying to give a quick thumbnail version. And that was kicked out of the Ebola trials because there was such a high level of, of renal failure rate. You see what I mean? So it's not like nothing was going on. You know what I mean? People died. You know, I lost two people when I believe it was due to the vaccine, went after the second shot. Uh, none of them had any major comorbidities. One was 50, Chris, who had the bike shop, and then Krista, my stepsister's daughter at 38, died in her sleep. So, you know, so there there was effect. Now, put a pin on that for a moment. There There have been people who have suffered from extreme weather events. Do you follow me? Over, yes, and yes. So, yes. so, and it seemed to be like I was talking to a guy, a guy today, for example, who's uh, does a call in. There's a smaller group that does call ins, and um, that do shows every day, like yours. But you know, there's they're, they're smaller. No one, not someone who's like you, but with WABC, we're talking just average folk like me. You know what I mean? We'll do our own call-ins. I'm an average folk. I'm average folk. I'm average I know folk. you are. real. I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you've been in the business. We haven't. You know, you know we're just... Yeah, okay. So what I'm getting at is he was saying, oh, yeah. He goes, I haven't ice skated for probably... He's in the Netherlands somewhere. He goes, he goes I haven't ice skated for a very long time. He used to love to ice skate, but it's not getting cold enough here anymore for the ponds to freeze over. And, and he goes, it's been decades. We haven't been ice skating. He goes, I really miss it. Well, that's a little thing, right? You might say. But I, when I was out in Southern California, there there was three wildfires that went through Escondido in 94. We had the 94 fires. We had the 2000, I'm trying to remember the years now, I think 2000. Then we had 2007. Then again in 2012. I mean, there was this one after another, you know, when I say one after another, fires that, that, that plagued that Southern California area. Do you follow me? And yeah, people say, well, that's anecdotal. Is, the, yeah, right. Yeah. The problem is that stuff tends to be cyclical, and we only have data that goes back 
maybe 120, 130 years. So right, we, we, don't know, well, we don't know if these things happened in these kinds of cycles hundreds of years before that. See, we only have a limited look. The problem is basically it's just like with COVID. The climate thing is just like with COVID is that you have a certain narrative that's been pushed the most, right? You have a certain narrative that's gotten most of the attention from the legacy media. And there are other, there are other doctors, just the way people like Jay Bhattacharya and Marty McCarry were silenced during COVID. There are plenty of doctors, there are plenty of scientists over the years who have a differing opinion on the climate stuff that have been silenced as well, you see? So it's very similar. I think the analogy is very strong. You could be more on the side. You, you, could, you could certainly say there's definitely more to the climate change thing than it was to COVID. But but I still think this is, this is a general narrative thing where the mainstream narrative, the mostly left-wing, the left-wing narrative that's promoted by universities and professors, the same with COVID, are the narratives that have been strongly pushed by the legacy media. And anyone that wants to talk about against that or has different data or different science is squashed or, or you know what the word is, they're called crazy conspiracy theorists. They're called what, Bill? Climate deniers. Just as they called them COVID, they called us COVID deniers. It's the same game they play, Bill. It's the same game. I think, I think from my perspective, the, okay, if you're going to, let's talk climate a little longer, right? Of course, there's been sunspots and solar flares and volcanic activity. And there's been all, we can even talk about the, the meteors that, you know, brought about the ice age. You know, there's been major events, obviously, over, that have caused climate change uh, throughout the eons. Just, so those things happened before the Industrial Revolution. Do you follow me? But yeah. I think, I think it's my opinion is because it's so complicated, you also have grand solar minimums and maximums. We're, we're going to be entering a solar minimum now, which is going to cause a cooling, which is as the sun, um, less sunspots, less flare, solar flares, so less solar radiation. That's going to have a natural cooling. That's part of the natural cycle. Do you follow me? That happens over hundreds and thousands of years. Okay. But we also do have, and I think it'd be negligent not to consider with the industrial revolution, the burning of petrochemicals exponentially yeah. increasing due to, right. you know, population growth and modernization. And so that is to me, just like we have to consider um, if I started smoking, which I don't smoke. Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. if I increased the level of smoking I was doing, and at the same time I had some, we we have deforestation. We have a lot of dynamics going on. We have, we have the burning of petrochemicals. We have the old growth forests that have, we're down to five percent of them in this country. Secondary growth sequesters a lot less um, carbon dioxide and produces less oxygen. You know, there's all kinds of things going on at the same time, and because then we have the solar minimums like there's so much going on there's no way to to pin any well, look, i'm not i'm not saying i mean i'm not yeah. i've never denied that a lot of this stuff some of the stuff that's happening with the climate is obviously right. not natural it's man-made the biggest question mm -hmm. is the biggest question mm -hmm. is how much is that how 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 much harm is that doing right well, how but, much yeah. harm is that doing how quickly is that doing any harm that's those are the questions but once again if i can relate to COVID again mm -hmm. it's it's when something happens like there's a breakout there's a summer where there are a lot of fires 
or with this one, like we just went through one week of massive storms and cold. Uh The the climate change um, crazies, the the knee-jerk reactionaries all, all of a sudden go, climate change, climate change, just like when there was a gathering of people during COVID and they said, oh, super spreader, or when there might be a period of time where like now where the flu and, you know, all the, all the things are combining together and it makes it seem worse and they go crazy again and say, oh, we're back in the middle of COVID. They just react. It's like this knee jerk, nutty, hysterical reaction. And that's what bothers me. And it happens almost almost every time. Right. You well, got to take it. You, got, you can't take you can't take any one thing. Right. You have to take everything as a whole. Right. You have to look at you have to look at a lot of different elements. And these people often don't. Right. Oh, when this is, they do, they do the exact same people. There's very little overlap. I mean, our vice president loves Venn diagrams. <laughs> there's very, there's very little, there's very, there's a lot of overlap, I should say, a lot of overlap between those people, the COVID crazies, the climate crazies, and, you know, the people who, who simply just react, have these knee jerk reactions to whatever happens, like a shooting, a mass shooting, right? Oh, oh, mass shooting. Oh, oh, guns, get rid of guns. It's, it's hysterical. It's hysterical. I'm not going to deny that happens. I think I'm just trying to give a balanced perspective. I think we have to also think about, you know, for example, uh, there are some people who suffer some major loss in life and property, um, you know, due to superstorms, and also things are misinterpreted on, on the flip side. Someone might say, "Oh, look how those frigid temperatures down in Texas, and now this Buffalo storm." See, there's no such thing as climate change at all, at all, at all. This is all bullshit because look how fucking cold it is. You see what I mean? And I think, but, but Bill, those those see the problem is when you look at the the amount of people, the number of people who say that, who say there is no climate change, it's all bullshit. There's no science. Or, or people who say there's no such thing as COVID, no one died of something called SARS-CoV-2. Those are just such a small, tiny fraction of people, but the, mm-hmm. the left-wing legacy media will make it seem like it's all of us, you see? They will taint all of us based mm-hmm. on these examples of the very few, right? And, and that's what they do all the time. But I don't think there are a lot of people. I haven't met anyone in my life who has said something like, there's no such thing as climate change, it's all bullshit. Nothing. We don't have to do a thing. I don't. I haven't met. I haven't met anyone. Who's wait, wait. We're gonna have to get. We're gonna have to get Gator on here. <laughs> what, let me let me say something real quick. I appreciate you you bringing that up. Okay. The the thing is this, right? What I try and do just to make a giant step forward. Since we're never gonna know, because we're gonna have these solar minimums, and there's something, of course, called the. Um, uh, when you have a lot of sediment and particles like after a volcano, for example, that creates um, like a, a blanket of some sort that reduces solar radiation. Do you follow me? So there's yeah. that effect. And then so the other, it's called the aerosol effect. When you're burning a lot of particulates, get in the air from burning fossil fuels, and that creates sort of that's a, a percentage of that effect happens. So there's all these complicated things happening at the same time. What I try and say is this, look, I think we can all agree on, on some things like an area like Bridgeport, had a very high emphysema rate. It was a major manufacturing city. 
Do you follow me for the war and stuff? We have a lot of Superfund sites laying around. The the, the waterways got polluted. Uh, the, the sound, the, the shell industry tanked because of it, um, because of the factories dumping. And a perfect example is the Kalahuga River running to Lake Erie, which caught on fire 10 times. Do you follow me? In other words, the major things do it. And people say, well, that's environmentalism. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can agree on if simple things like we all want to clean water and air. No one wants to see people get sick due to, you know, contaminated water, uh, whether it be Flint or anywhere. Do you see what I'm saying? And and so we have, if we, I think if we focus on those kinds of things and we want healthy seafood coming out of the oceans, do you follow me? Then we focus on, like is taking care of our bodies. Do you follow me to make sure the healthiest possible? If we look at planet Earth as what it is a living biosphere where the we have we're seventy one percent water, just like just like the, the planet. We come from the Earth, right? Our, our everything's formed from the Earth. It, it, it comes from nowhere else. You know what I'm saying? So we're one with the Earth, and we are very much. We talk about what we eat and glyphosates, and we you know all those things. And well, if it's poisoning us, it's poisoning the environment. So I think we could all agree on that. And then the rest will take care of itself. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, look, of course, there's a lot. Bill, I'm going to let you go, but thanks for the call. Bill, have a very happy new year. All right, my friend. Thank you. You Have a happy new year. We'll see you you next year. Okay. (laughs) Or next week. Um, And I just want to remind people to do some house cleaning. I will be on Monday night. So I know that's a fake holiday, Monday, but I think by Monday night, everyone's. By Monday night, you think everyone might be ready to get back to uh, life again? But this show will be on Monday night, 11 p.m., 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. So we'll have plenty of time. We'll have three days to celebrate uh, New Year's. And that'll be the first show of the of 2023. I cannot believe it. I can't believe this is the last show. I can't believe I, this is amazing to me that I this is a, a full year of shows I've been doing now. I started this podcast on Spotify in November of 2021. And so this is my first full year of shows that I'm completing. And uh, I th- Gator, the Gator, does the cat have your tongue, Gator? Gator, you're writing a lot of interesting things in the chat. If you'd like to come on and talk, if you want to talk a little, there you are. Good. You see, I had to, I had to, I had to, you know, really get you out of your. Uh... Yeah, I haven't heard you from hey, a while. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Been? I had a great Christmas, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, some champagne later. Good, Year's. good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're in. We're right in. You're into the morning time now of New Year's Eve there in London. You're, you're yeah. getting into it. Yeah, yeah. Hi, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, yeah. Look, um, don't. I, I definitely um, sort of argue the toss with uh, this Andrew Tate bullshit. Don't even bother talking about it because he's no one. And if you look into him. It's just. It's I think just I think he was a great kickboxer, theater. right? He was a kickboxer, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all all he did. I mean, I know I'm now um, going against my own advice, but just to 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 point out the pointlessness of this is there's a guy called Coffeezilla who basically looks into predominantly crypto scams, but other forms of sca- financial related scam, and he and he looked at. Um, Tate's Hustlers University a while ago, and it's just a crock of shit. He basically he basically gets you to pay fifty dollars a month for self improvement courses like how to pull chicks and do shit in business, and it runs on a Discord server with apparently just 
tossers who are giving you this crap content. And then, and then basically he just runs a fear of missing out racket on people who consider leaving sort of thing. You know, it's that kind of thing, right? And, so um, basically, and then, and then basically every, every photo I've seen of the guy is, is him shirtless smoking a cigar on the beach. Yeah, that's it. and, that's and all that's just all. sitting around on YouTube saying, I'm rich, and if you pay me $50 a month, you will you can get better at life and rich. It's like, well, that's just a standard scam, right? So all yeah. he's done, apparently, is just said on Twitter, I have 33 cars. Here's the engine size of my Lambo, and here's the Ferrari thing. And, and he just and he just said that to Greta Thunberg. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a bullshit. It's just a... Um, a, a piss poor way of getting column inches, isn't it? That's all it is. He's just saying controvert. He's just saying outlandish stuff for um, column yeah, but inches. You can't, you can't be arrested for that. Why? Why did they arrest him? No, he's been arrested apparently because the Romanians, along with some other possible police forces, have been investigating his activities in possible human trafficking. Because apparently he's essentially running a pimp racket out of um, at least one building in Romania. Uh, where he's exploiting cam girls and stuff like that, and um, and that's it apparently. Uh, um, and you know, so so on a very simple level, he might just be a fucking pimp. And if he is, and if this is just an example of the law actually working against, uh, you know, finding him out as a pimp and then going and pursuing him, good, you know, good, good for the law. He he might be that little that that much of a fucking tool really to just have been. Literally pimping women. So what? I, I, I think. I mean, I think prostitution should be legal. I, I'm once again, once again, I don't know if that's the whole story here. You know, I, I doubt they'd arrest someone these days for for being a pimp, would they? I mean, well, I, I mean, would, trafficking is. He's also he's being ex- accused of trafficking, which is more than that. So you know, see, we'll just have to see how the court case, how, how it plays out. Goodness, you know, we'll talk it. about this. Later. I mean, we'll this. you know, I wouldn't. I would never. I, I don't believe anyone should be, um, you know. Yeah, but I, you know, if, if Andrew, if I've, Andrew I've seen some is, reports is a pimp and a trafficker, he should be banged yeah. up for that. Yeah, I've seen some of the things. Some of the reports are, and I've heard people saying, "Well, you know, he, women were doing crazy things." He made, but then there were reports these women wanted to do these things. They 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 gladly did it for money, and so I don't know. We'll see. What, I I'm you know I'm I'm a little I've been a little nervous. I haven't talked about this ever on my show, but maybe we will next year. Um, it, it's uh, this whole idea of, of trafficking, the, the, the difference between trafficking and women or men doing these things because they want to make money because they're adults, right? And they can make their own decisions as adults. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gotten that line has been blurred a little bit now. I've seen a lot of people who, you know, yeah, the gung ho against trafficking, where they seem to really sometimes cross the line where they go after sex workers. We're talking about legitimate sex workers who do things, but do it because they want to do it for work. Um, whether well, they do look, it on their own or work for an escort agency or a pimp or whatever it may be. So I don't, once again, I'm no expert on that. Obviously, when someone's of age, when they're legal, I, I, I kind of think that as adults, they should be able to do what they want. They shouldn't be forced to do anything. So what you're talking about basically is forced prostitution. I, I don't, I, I have to be honest with you. I don't know how that works. Okay, look, I'll give you two examples of how this works. Go ahead. One, 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 one of them is is a story recounted in a book called Slave Girl uh, by written by a woman called Sarah Roberts or something like that and she you can find her even now I mean 25 years after she wrote the book she there's video relatively recent video footage of her showing how damaged she was 
at 17, 18 years old. She didn't have a very good family life. She wasn't close to her parents, decided to try and she, t she answered a basically a, a job ad um, to be essentially kind of like an au pair type English teacher over in Holland. So she ended up going to do this. Right. So she independently traveled over to Holland, was met by a man and a woman who claimed to be the people who were setting up the, the job for her. Right. Or who, who were going to employ her. And basically, once she got into their sphere and they put her in a car, the bloke pulls out a gun and essentially says, right, you're 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 mine now and you're going to do what I tell you. He was the pimp. The other woman was was under his control and was was a, was a heroin junkie. And basically the guy coerced, took control of Sarah, put her under the um, watch of this uh, this this other woman. I can't remember her name. And basically forced her into prostitution and into heroin uh, dependency, and she ended up in the windows on the on the on the red light district in Amsterdam. Right now, she was there for years. I mean, I'm talking years. And and also, she was so she was intimidated, continuously under the control, intimidated by a guy with a gun. And also, mm -hmm. she actually ended up being traded by him into the possession of a crime lord, a uh, Serbian or Czech, I can't remember now. And one day when she thought, I think she'd tried to escape, but she, but, but I can't remember the exact details now, but basically it hadn't worked. And one day the she'd made contact with a couple of police who, who, who had seemed sympathetic. And then another, in another period, eight coppers turned up into her booth and absolutely gang raped her. Right. Which basically told her that the police are in on this. Right. And it yeah. destroyed all her hope. And she was just a slave. Now, it, it even got so bad. I'm not joking when I say this. I've read the whole book a long time ago. She was in circumstances under the control of these crime laws where she was essentially being forced to perform sex acts with another woman. Uh, I think she was Thai. And obviously being observed by people all around her. And there was like a red dot of being filmed. And then somebody blew the head off the Thai woman, right? Literally, she was in a oh. force to be in a snuff movie, right? Awful. No. Okay, now that is just one example of... Uh, now, eventually, this woman escaped because there were two dogs that were basically controlled the room that she was in once she got under the control of this crime lord in these circumstances, and eventually one day she realized that like she couldn't hear them and she basically ended up trying the door and it wasn't actually locked right unusually and she ended up stepping out going what the fuck and it turned out that basically the crime lord had been come under the pressure of or, or crossed the line with the police and had done one and he'd literally abandoned his operation for the time being and she she kind of wandered out into the daylight and then eventually like managed to get in touch with, uh, I think, the sympathetic police, right? And and, and was re recovered to the UK. But she is a real person and she is completely traumatised by this, even after all this time. And yeah. then the other, and I'll be very quick on this, is a standard yeah. where, where a guy, a, a gang, will basically go around saying in poor environments, say in Moldova, Romania, pick a, pick a place, right? We, we can, we, we will give you or your family members or your kids or whoever you want a job in Europe, right? And we'll get them over there. And then basically just gangmasters. So somebody pays them a, a couple of hundred euros, thousand euros, whatever that is, to be shipped over to another country, often the UK, 
And then basically, once they get in, they, they, they have their documents taken away and then they go, right, you're now working for us in a car wash, in a, in a whatever operation, or you're actually going to be a sex slave and you're forced into prostitution and loaded up on drugs and everything else. Standard model. That is absolutely standard model. It's all over the place. Um, and, and it's not that hard to achieve. And then basically they're never getting back to their home country without any of the travel documentation and they're never getting out unless they can alert the authorities without getting the shit beaten out of them or killed, right? Uh, that's been going on for decades, if not hundreds of years. Well, it, it, that, that was going to be my next question here. What, is there a reason why we're hearing about a lot of this sex trafficking now and we didn't hear about it 20, 30 years ago? Is, is it just becoming, is it just, is it people are just, are just realizing it's happening now or, or are they just deciding this is something they have to crack down on now? Well, it's hard to say because if you look into the the number of if you if you look into official estimates for slavery around the globe, there are more slaves in the world now than there were during the eras of legalized slavery, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so then then you take you know the high profile cases of I mean Epstein and Maxwell. There's a big problem with those two cases. You can't be convicted as a trafficker unless there was a victim and a customer, right? So the question is, why isn't anybody looking into the lists of the, the customer lists of Maxwell and Epstein? Well, because the, the customers control the lists, right? They're all looking after themselves. And Maxwell and Epstein are the, are the, are, have been cut loose as the, they're the two people who society gets to gets to see as the people to blame. And that's the end of that. And whether in terms of the, the, the bigger reportage on it, it, it to be honest, it's not actually getting more coverage because if you go back through the annals of, of, of um, if you go back through local reporting or, or any, any of the reporting, you'll find that this has been reported a hell of a lot. You just don't see it or remember it. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the UK, in about maybe 2008, the Association for um, something or the police officers, ACPO, the top level ACPO um, police officers, literally issued a statement in the Times uh, newspaper, I think, saying, based on everything that we can do with surveillance technology at the moment, we estimate there's between 250 and 500,000 machines in the UK who have accessed illegal, obscene, basically paedophilic material. But because there's so many, we aren't going to do anything about it because there's too many people for us to prosecute. Now, why, as a, as a chief police officers, would you state that at all? Because, I mean, un, unprovoked, they just issued this statement through the, paper, through the papers. Because right. all that is, yeah. is it's carte yeah. blanche for people to go and commit those crimes because they've now been told there's just too many of you and you're high, you've, got, you've got safety in numbers. Right? I would never say that as a police officer. I would keep that to myself and then basically start thinking, shit, what's the most efficient way for us to lure in and, and blanket catch the names, details of these people and hunt them down bit by bit, right? That's what I would do, but I wouldn't do the other, what they did. That tells you there's something systemic, systematic and systemic in this phenomena, right? And then when you look into reporting just in the UK of abuse, abduction and sex trafficking and so on and so forth, it repeatedly involves people high up the food chain. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just a question of what do you want to look at and how hard do you want to do any research? And once you start doing it, you find a lot of cases 
um, and it's consistent and the methodology is relatively consistent as well. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I understand that. But, you know, obviously, when it comes to Epstein's list, some people would say uh, that those names on that list are so high up that they won't go after yeah. those people, that they'd rather go well, after Bill this, Gates you know, is all over they'd it. They'd rather go after this, this, you know, this guy Tate than, than go after the names that are on that list. And, of and course, look, yeah. let's face it. You have the tra sex trafficking, right, that, that, that Epstein was doing. And, and then you have um, with Maxwell. And then you just have people who, like, could say, well, I, I benefited from it. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know anyone was being forced, right? You could play dumb, right? Yeah, yeah And a sure. lot of those people on that list will simply play dumb. They'll say, I didn't I, – I, 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 I thought he was a stand-up guy. I didn't know he was – unless you can prove, right? Unless you exactly, can prove yeah. they knew what was going on, what they were partaking in, you really can't charge them with anything, can you? Yeah, ex exactly. Just deny everything and then basically wait for them to turn up the proof – that you actually did anything. And I mean, look at Bill Gates's interview where he's challenged by the PBS uh, interviewer about his relationship with Epstein. He literally evades most of the questioning, essentially sort of makes vague denials. And then literally at one point he just says, well, he's dead now. And that's his <laughs> answer to, to shut down the argument. And also he's looking off camera at a handler, you know, at his, press burst or whatever basically an yeah, objection and hoping that they would get shut down and i know but he says well it, well he's dead now well and, and if any journalist <laughs> worth anything and they're not worth anything anymore would say but you're still alive i mean mm. did, did, did wait was, was that the excuse that did, did the, the the nazi prison soldiers did the excuse that hitler was dead did that absolve yeah. them it's just so yeah. stupid these people are so dumb but bill gates is a, is a, is a slimy garbage piece of shit I mean, basically, that's what he is. I can't come up with any, any, yeah, any highfalutin words. He's, he's, a, he's a psycho. Though. He's a psychopath. You know, yeah, it's, but it's... one thing you should take into account, though, I think he's done a, a 2023 year to come video. You need to take that video, you need to take what he said, and you need to map out the big picture moves he's describing and then make a bet in your portfolio, not all of it, some of it. Position some of your portfolio in the areas that he's just said. He is literally just giving you essentially the direction that markets are going to move in because he's going to make he and people he's connected to and all of the influence peddling that is connected through there are going to make some of those some of those events happen in 2023 so just position some of your money to gain from yeah. that you know you that, can also, that, that, that that's important to follow things like that but also you have something to say about greta thunberg you have some insights on on greta well yeah. look why why would anyone listen to a non-expert 19 year old about shit right this is this is ridiculous she 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 bunked off school well that's not a good idea for anyone right mm -hmm. and then she runs around going whinging right she makes false statements about about technology that she doesn't understand like going around saying nuclear nuclear technology is not um, viable either because it's absolutely filthy. Well, actually, it's the carbon cleanest uh, form of energy generation we've got. It doesn't yeah. have to produce weaponry and it doesn't have to. There are ty ty types and versions of nuclear that don't necessarily have to produce anywhere near the level of um, dangerous um, spent fuel uh, if we want to invest in those types yeah. of um, technology right and the reality is if you want to try to even remotely reduce um carbon output as a result of energy production 
nuclear is literally the only option that we have. Fuck renewables. You do any data research into the energy density of renewables, they haven't got a fucking hope in hell of doing anything meaningful to to reduce so-called carbon output, right? And um and, and so so she's running around becoming being being literally a handled icon, okay, um, for a very specific political purpose, and yet she knows fuck all. So why would anyone listen to her or pay her any attention? Well, because it's just like it's just like, I understand it's like, but it's like they have their Fauci, like the left wing has their has their deity, right? And Fauci is their is their mm-hmm. COVID deity, and Greta Thunberg was the, is their climate change deity. They they hook they, they what they want is they want a person they can say, okay, this is the this is the person who's who's uh, you know who's the maverick and leading the way, and it's basically just someone they create. It's someone yeah. they basically create. Like you say, there's nothing really to her, but the the left wing media, the, the 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 legacy media and left wing politicians, they create this. They 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 have a creation that they that they create, and they make her or this person the the image of their movement, right? Yeah. Well, and I was they found a young, a young girl, a young girl who you know, they who seems like she cares about the climate, and that's that's all yeah. they need, right? A young girl. A young girl who wants to make sure there's still a world here when she's 70 years old. Yeah. And there you go. It's, 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 it's pretty pathetic, though, when you look at the psychological um, technique involved here. You essentially take a crying child, right, and then and then position them into the point in the narrative that you want people to be suckered into. That right. is exactly the same as, as as taking a picture of a dead body, a dead baby's body, on a British beach and saying, "Look." We need to accept an unlimited number of asylum seekers from the Middle East where we've just been bombing the shit out of them. It's like, well, A, you've exploited the dead body of that baby. And B, the, 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 the solution that you're proposing is inadequate because you really need to be not creating the flow of um, refugees due to illegal wars, right? Let's, yep. let's talk about that. And Greta Thunberg is a version of that psychological manipulation. Now, I was saying to somebody uh, very early last year, in the next five years, I reckon that you will see Greta Thunberg being rolled out as the political leader of a th- of essentially a new set of parties across Europe, which oh, will geez. be essentially the extreme green movement. And within within weeks of me saying that to them, she she resurfaced in the British Guardian as being, and suddenly there was this massive one page. Um, puff piece on her and she had this accompanied by a picture of half her face being covered in oil right it was a completely stage managed thing within weeks of me saying this to somebody and 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 that is what will happen she will be pushed into a position where she drives by 2025 2026 she will become this youth leader of of the the green nazis basically and um, and and woe betide anybody who votes for it because they'll be on a hiding to fuck all really. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's like um, it's almost like a character that a a uh, a screenwriter or, or 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 you know a TV writer would make up, right? Yeah, it really is. That's what it is. It's like a character, and you could take it through, like you said, where she starts out as this, and then becomes this leader, and becomes this, you know. So it's basically all scripted. It seems to be all scripted. The way it is all scripted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, should that, somebody should ask Greta Thunberg, "Hey, Greta, are, are you saying that we are now living 
in the highest global temperatures that have ever occurred because we've created that? And the answer to that is no, we're not. Right. If anybody says, yes, we are, they're lying and they're stupid. And the second thing is to ask Greta Thunberg is, hey, Greta, how, how are we now creating with the rises in sea level that are apparently um, the result of anthropogenic global warming? Have we created the, the world's highest um, sea levels ever? And the answer to that is no. Because basically that's a proven record. Um, thousands of years ago the earth's sea levels were hundreds of feet higher than they are today right and life still existed and their temperatures were actually a lot hotter than they were now there's even recent very recently published paper which um which was publicized recently where it said i can't remember the range the 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 the, the date range now but temperatures were over 60 degrees fahrenheit hotter than they are today Funnily enough, there was still life and people, things still lived in that condition. That's what I mean. We talk, we, you have to go back and look at all the data. Exactly. From all the, you know, you can't just look at the last hundred years. Right. So that's, the, that's the problem with people, Gator, is they think the last hundred years is everything. Or they think that span of 100, 110 years is a, is a huge period that you can make all these conclusions from. And you yeah, can't. You're, you're correct. It's in a what speck. You're saying the last of... century is a speck. It's a speck. That's all yeah, it is. Yeah, and you're, you're correct in saying that that climate change is like COVID. They are both narratives, right? And almost mm -hmm. nobody has bothered to check the narrative on the underpinning principles and data of COVID narrative or climate change narrative. I've never met any average Joe, any of my friends, any of my colleagues who actually have bothered to look into any of the significant technical aspects of climate change, starting with how do we measure temperature on the surface of the globe? Once you do that, you realize it's a fucking joke, right? We make up temperatures on the globe and we also measure them in heart, heart, totally artificial places, right? We run around saying um, that Britain's just had the hottest year ever. There was one day when apparently temperatures were 40 degrees and that's never happened before. Oh, right. OK. Where was that measurement tem temperature measurement taken? Was it taken at an airport on solid concrete in the proximity of jet engines? That is true. Right. We take measurements at airports. Why? <laughs> right. They contribute to the average average global data sets. So they clearly yeah. skew them. Right. Yeah. We always that, 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 that's a major. This. Yeah. Usually if when you look it up when you're just looking up your weather, it's usually from an airport. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Like about that's it. the last place you yeah. want to be measuring. Temperature. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Two of the warmest places. Right. You have the airport and downtown city. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. another place where they take a look. Yeah. Right. Huge heat sink. Right. Concrete, you, they, you're at huge seats, either airport or concrete jungle. <laughs> it's true. Dog shit, 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. But nobody wants to know that, do they? They just want to know what the narrative is, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and so, so essentially, the problem we've got is that although you and I are on the same level with COVID and we know the whole fucking thing is a scam, and, mm -hmm. and it's such a complicated, there's so many nuances of testing, uh, gene genomic profile that drives testing where the testing is non-specific with S-gene dropout or one gene instead of three and all these other things before you even get into um, the origin of the, of the virus, whether it really was um, a specific strain or, or there's even more nuance to the, the creation and all these other things, right? There's about mm -hmm. six to eight stages at least of the complexities of why COVID and the vaccines are just simply don't match the narrative. 
COVID has only taken two and a half, three years to psychologically embed in people to the point that they did stupid shit that they shouldn't have done to themselves, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, of course. But climate change is a narrative that has been going on and pervaded the man mankind's brain for over 30 years. So good luck getting that out of people's heads. If you can't get COVID out of people's heads, you're never getting climate change out of people's heads. And this is the thing. People will just revert to, to a narrative of, well, it's probably good that we that we that we clean up the world yeah but environmental protection is not the same as anthropogenic global warming even if there's an overlap they're not the yeah. same thing right. and, and and people just don't want to give a shit about the answer because it's the answer is just a bit too complicated it's like well well shouldn't we just not pollute yeah but the pollute yeah sure don't pollute stuff don't pour PFOAs from Teflon production into your entire water course like has happened in the USA and is now yeah contaminated the entire world sure yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are causing global warming because glo the globe has been warmer than it is now and sea levels have been higher than they are now and that was before we had anything to but, do with it but hmm. gator everything but you know what will happen everything that we talk about everything that they write about will be things like we just saw about covid where they try to relate where they have an article they write an article where they relate vaccine status to if you're going to be in a traffic accident or not yeah so they'll yeah. write they'll write stuff like yeah. that. The next thing they'll write is that, you know, Elon Musk having um you know, dirty headquarters is leading to our our climate crisis. You know, they'll, they'll make these ridiculous yeah. these ridiculous leaps <laughs> and no one will will question it. They'll say, "Oh, they, they I'm reading this on my computers. They know shit. It's got to be right. If I'm reading on my if I'm reading on my computer, it's got to be it's got to be something, you know? Or or they'll they'll you know, I wonder if they're ever going to write an article about the, the, the homeless people pissing and shitting in the streets of San Francisco, if that leads to any climate issues. I'd like to yeah. see that story written. Probably not going to yeah. see that one. I mean, and, 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 and will, will slipping in human shit be a leading yeah. cause of death next year in and around yeah. the Chicago region, right? But, but, the, but that, will, that will probably, you know, be, be um, palmed off as, uh, as, a, as, yeah. as COVID exactly. or something, right? right. COVID causing... Yeah, uh, you know, it all adds to the COVID death numbers as somehow. Gator, yeah, I, it's, it's just nonsense, mate. Gator, but, I want. I, oh, thanks for coming. I want you to have a good New please. Year, Gator. I want yeah, I'll try. Really I'll try. Year. All right, and take uh, easy. And I'll, have a good. And I'll see you next year. Thanks, I appreciate it. Um, okay, so Bill, hold your thought till next year. <laughs> yes, yeah, so hold your thought till next year because what I'm going to do, um, even though I love you, Bill, um, is uh, is get into the end of the show. Uh, the part of the show you've all been waiting for. You haven't all been waiting for this just tonight. You've been waiting for the entire year to get my 10 best list. Look, if you have nothing to do, if you're not going to go out and get drunk later tonight, if you have a couple of days off, you might want to catch up on some of these movies I talk about, whether they're still on the big screen, which I would recommend at first, as you know, or streaming. But first of all, we have to, before I get into my 10 best list of 2022, I have to do my intro here. Okay, shut up. Okay, John Williams, The Boston Pops, with Hooray for Hollywood. Now, there are 10 films, so I'm going to go through them kind of quickly because I don't want to spend the rest of the night doing this. But number 10, we'll go from the bottom up. Should I go from the top down? No, the bottom up. That's suspenseful, right? Um, is uh, 
The Black Phone. Now you're wondering, Mike, what the hell is The Black Phone? The Black Phone is a uh, thriller with Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke plays a, uh, uh, a lunatic who abducts children. He abducts children and he takes them to his home where he does horrible things to them in the basement. And you're wondering, why the hell would you put this film on your 10 best list? Well, it's one of the really the, one of the best thrillers I've seen in a very long time. And a big reason is because it really is about the, the end of innocence, the end of innocence and the way we have to sometimes really fight, really fight back if we're going to survive. So it takes real life things like the end of innocence as a child and the idea of a young person realizing that they have to fight for everything they're going to get in life and makes it into this incredible tense thriller with great performances from Ethan Hawke as the, uh, as the, as the, uh, um, the masked abductor, uh, serial abductor, and Mason Thames as uh, one of his victims. Uh, fantastic, fantastic film, really well directed by Scott Dickerson. Um, I would say it is one of the best films of the year. It's number 10. Number nine, a film I just reviewed last week, Babylon, with, uh, with, with, uh, with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie about the transition, the awkward transition from the uh, the, the, the silent films of the 20s to the talkies of the 30s and the things those actors had to go through and how some of them could not make that transition, how devastating that transition was for a lot of people. We don't talk about that. We don't see it in movies much. And basically also a, a salute to filmmaking and the way those people of the silent film era really laid the groundwork for all we've had over the last 100 years. Um, some incredible set pieces, including the opening sequence, which takes place at basically this huge party, this orgy slash party, 1920s, roaring 20s party at a producer's house in the Hollywood Hills. I, I, Damien Chazelle, great young director, also did Whiplash and La La Land. I have to say that uh, Babylon is one of the best films of the year. Number nine. Number eight. Number eight, a film that came out much earlier this year, Elvis. Yes, I thought Elvis was one of the Greatest biopics I've ever seen. Really, really well-made biopic by Baz Luhrmann, chronicling Elvis and his uh, relationship with his uh, his um, manager, uh, his manager. And uh, it, it's really well done, chronicling Elvis from his early days, early days in in, in Tennessee, to his, uh, of course, unfortunate death through through drug overdoses. Um, and alcohol at a, at a very young age. Tom Hanks is also in it. He plays the manager. I'm telling you, this is a, a really good film. This is one of the best films Baz Luhrmann's ever made. I have to recommend Elvis. That's number eight. Number seven, a film that wasn't around too long, but everyone should see it. It's streaming. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, and this is a kaleidoscopic look of this Asian-American family as they are thrust into this incredible sci-fi uh, thriller, basically, uh, which goes back and forth in time and has some incredible action sequences, some incredible fight sequences, action sequences, mind-bending time, um, great performances, kind of a real sleeper. Not everyone saw this. A lot of people didn't see it. it didn't make, I don't think it made a lot of money. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Top-notch performances, fantastic direction, just a really great kind of matrix kind of a film um, that really chronicles the average people um, and it's it very uh, number seven, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, will you ask me a question? Will you ask me a question, Greg? 
or Heidi? What did Tom Hanks do? I don't know. I'm not taking any questions during the 10 best list. No, no questions during the, during the 10 best list. Kate Blanchett is in Tar, the sixth best film of the year, number six. She plays a, a very famous female composer um, uh, who, uh, not, not based on a real character, not a fictional character, who, uh, as, we, as the film goes on, we realize that she's used, she's mixed her personal life and her professional life too much. She's given, uh, you know, she, she's, a, she's a lesbian and she's given preference to certain women throughout her career. She's crushed the careers of other women throughout her career because they did not play ball with her. Or once again, mixing her personal professional life. And we get this, it, we get this uh, depiction of this incredibly great professional, this top-notch composer who, whose career and reputation is ruined because of her, her personal life and the ability to separate both of them. Directed by uh, Todd Field, who also did something called In the Bedroom. He also played Nick Nightingale in, in the uh, Eyes Wide Shut, if you remember, The Pianist. Uh, he's become a, a great director in his own right, worked with Kubrick in that film, and obviously learned a lot from him, a lot of Kubrickian kind of scenes. Uh, Tar, my number six film of the year, directed by Todd Field. Kate Blanchett, fantastic, fantastic, carries the film. Number five. Top Gun Maverick. Yes, the Tom Cruise movie. One of the best action films you'll see in a long time. I mean, I think this might have been better than the original Top Gun. Uh, incredible action sequences that put you in the middle of it. I mean, Cruise wanted the audience to feel like they were in those fighter planes, and we do. It's immersive, and the greatest thing, I think the greatest thing, of course, Cruise is fantastic as always, but the greatest thing about Top Gun Maverick is it brought back films post-COVID. Not totally, I get it, but it really started getting people. It was a huge moneymaker. It got people back into the theaters. I'm sure we'll see a lot of films like that, of that genre coming up, because they want to get people back into the movie theaters. So I put Top Gun Maverick as number five. Okay, as we go through this, number four, The Banshees of Anishirin. Uh, this is the film that takes place in a small island off the coast of Ireland. Um, it's about two men. Uh, who are uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who are lifelong friends. And one day, one of them just says to the other, I don't want to be your friend anymore. It's just simple as that. I don't want to be your friend anymore. I don't want you to look at me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And the conflict that creates. This film is just fantastic. Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, fantastic, incredible chemistry. Um, it takes you into very dark, it's a kind of dark humor. Uh, I, I call it a, a black comedy. Um, and it goes into uh, the idea of the male psyche and the idea of friendship and uh, feeling not worthy of, of, of being who you are and where you are in life and how that dementia how, how, and how we, we use each other, even in, in friendships, how we play off each other and we use each other and actually really need each other to exist. Great film, great performances. The Banshees of Inishirin is number four. Here we go. Top three. Top three. Number three is Timothy Chalamet's film Bones and All, Modern Day Cannibals. Young cannibals who uh, at first believe they are alone in life and there's no one else like them. As the film goes along, they meet others like them, a group of young cannibals, basically, trying to work their way through uh, life as normal people, which, of course, is impossible because they're cannibals. So the, the film, what's amazing about Luca Guadagnino's film is that it combines elements of extreme horror uh, and macabre scenes with uh, just incredible scenes of, of, of romance. And uh, it, it kind of gives you the feeling of we go through life 
with the idea of what life will be. And unfortunately, as we get older, as we go through life, we realize this is what life actually is. So there's always that conflict in this film of what the perfect life we can have and unfortunately the life we do have. And these young cannibals, these cannibals going through life, going through the world and trying to fit in are in that position of never being able to fit in, always seeming like outsiders. And it's just the incredible juxtaposition. It's a very well-directed film. This is a what you call a, a, a director's film where the film relies much, Timothy Chalamet's performance is, is, is superb. He's one of the great understated actors, I believe, underappreciated and understated because his performances are very understated. He doesn't force anything. He lets you, he lets you to understand his character along with him. He does this all the time. Great actor, Timothy Chalamet. And Bones and All, I think, is kind of like a, a uh, it's, just, it's just a very, very well-made film that combines elements you wouldn't think could be combined. Uh, into sort of a very, very sad story of, of people on the outside who are never quite able uh, to fit into the world. So Bones and All, that's number three. Bones and All. Okay, number two, the runner-up, the best film of the year. This is a tough decision between the top two, and I had to make the decision, so I made the decision. Number two is The Fablemans. That's Steven Spielberg's autobiographical film, Growing Up, uh, about learning to love film and, of course, the filmmaker he would become and the influences he had. And one of the greatest things, as I said when I reviewed this film, is it's not this, this you know, this, this uh, saccharine, sugary film about, you know, uh, 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 about his influences. And it, it's not like these grand scenes of, you know, what made him who he is. It was basically a family drama. It's about his family, his relationship, his mother and his father, who had a very difficult uh, relationship. And they ended up getting divorced in the 60s when, of course, it wasn't very common for, for families to get. Remember, it wasn't until like 1979 we saw a real film about divorce, right? Kramer versus Kramer. And so Steven Spielberg's mother and father divorced or separated or whatever in the 60s. And the effect that had, the effect that very, very, very particular devastating thing for Steven Spielberg as a child had on his life. And that is where we get the measure of the man. That is what influenced a lot of his filmmaking. But it's a great family drama. And after seeing the film, I'll never watch a, a, a Spielberg film again. It really does it. it. It it shows how a person is really influenced by the real things in life, such as his family unit and how that played out for him as a child into his teens and, of course, going into film school. It's a great film, once again, showing Steven Spielberg can still make a fantastic movie, even at his age, all the great movies he's made. He can still make a really personal, intimate film. Great acting all around. The Fableman's number two. And if I had a drum roll, but I have no, I have no drums because it's low budget. The best film of the year is a film that many people will probably disagree on. It's called The Whale. And this is with Brendan Fraser as this basically 600-pound man who's in the last week of his life, and he wants to reconnect with his estranged daughter. He's, he's gay, but he was once married. He had this daughter. He hasn't seen her in nine years. She's a teenager now. He wants to reconnect in the last days of his life because he is dying. He has uh, come to terms with the fact that he, he, there's no way he's going to survive anymore. Um, he's got you know, conjective heart failure. He's got ridiculous you know, high blood pressure. He's going to die. So the film depicts the last basically week of his life. T very, it's based on a stage play. It doesn't, 
it doesn't open it up. It keeps us in his apartment. 95% of the film takes place in his basically three-room apartment. It's very claustrophobic. Brendan Fraser, who, of course, we know when he was younger, was athletic and ripped and muscular and all the action films he made and Encino Man and The Mummy. And here he looks a hell of a lot different. But it really works because we hadn't seen Brendan Fraser in so long. The actor that it actually helps us, you know, um, accept the fact that he's this incredibly obese man. It's it's a, it's a fat, it's a really fantastic performance. And I've always known Brendan Fraser to be a great actor. I think he was great in, in things like Encino Man. But remember, Gods and Monsters with Ian McKellen, which is a drama. He was great in that also. But never like this. This is like the performance of a lifetime. I'm sure he's going to win the Oscar. Uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, directed it. Uh, he did, if you remember, Requiem for a Dream and The Black Swan and Pie and those films. Um, and uh, it's just an emotionally devastating, honest film. It's the kind of film you don't want to see more than once because it's just really tough to watch. It's really tough to watch. It's almost though we're existing in that room with this man who's in his last days, who's trying to redeem himself by simply reconnecting uh, with his estranged daughter. Um, I I usually don't tear up in films. I tear up many times in this film. You know, it's, it, so I, I just think it's I think it's something special. I think it's incredibly well directed. Um, once again, great performances all around. It's the whale and the whale is the best film of 2022. Okay, going through the list again. One, The Whale. Two, The Fablemans. Three, Bones and All. Four, The Banshees of Venetian. Five, Top Gun Maverick. Six, Tar. Seven, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Eight, Elvis. Nine, Babylon. Ten, The Black Phone. If you got anything to do, nothing to do this weekend, if you want to get out there and see a movie on the big screen, if you want to stream them, I give, I've given you plenty of entertainment. Look, I've given you plenty of options. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. You don't have to get drunk. You don't have to watch Anderson Cooper and uh, what's his face? The other, the other, the other Anderson guy, whatever his name is. Who's the one that does it with him? And Andy Cohen, two Andys, Andy Cooper, Andy Cohen, uh, get drunk on CNN. Don Lemon can't get drunk anymore. CNN made a rule that's they don't call it the Don Lemon rule. But it is a Don Lemon rule that you can't drink anymore. He can't drink anymore. Everyone else can drink but him. Uh, the Cooper, the Andes can drink, but he can't drink because he makes a fucking total fool of himself. Even more so than normally when he drinks. So he can't drink anymore. So I don't know what you're going to do. Maybe uh, Fox News, they're going to be in Nashville. They're going to be doing their, their New Year's Eve show from Nashville. I think that's what I'll be watching uh, as I party with some friends. I really want to thank everyone who listened tonight on this New Year's Eve day. And I want to thank everyone for listening uh, to my show. Those who have listened since the beginning on Spotify and those who have listened, I guess, since what, seven, eight months ago when I started doing this uh, five nights a week on call-in. It's the last show of 2022. I have a great time talking to everyone, discussing the issues, you know, getting insights, arguing, yelling, whatever it may be. It's always it's always a it's always a good time and enlightening. I want to thank everyone for being there. I want to thank everyone for for listening tonight. I know there are other things you could have been doing on this uh, holiday weekend. Uh, I want to thank my callers. Uh, who called tonight? Gator called, right? And 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 William called. And uh, who else called? Is it Gator and William, right? Yes, Gator and and William. And I want to thank you for listening, everyone out there. Daniel's out there. Heidi's out there. Misha, Murphy's is that Murphy's Murphy's, and of course. Of course, Greg, of course. Um, and I'll be back here Monday night. This show airs 
Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. I'll be back Monday night, the 2nd. Have a great weekend. Have a great new year. And I'll see everyone in 2023. The name of the show is And Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.